0: Is the only one that we Jesus has. Welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In each episode of this podcast, I look at the works of great American writers using the Library of America as my source material. By looking at only 100 pages in each episode, my intention is to go systematically and rigorously through these works. In this episode, I'm going to be continuing my look at James Fenimore Cooper's novel from 1941, The Deerslayer. It's the first chronologically of the Leatherstocking Tales, but it was actually the last written, the final one written. In the sense, in this sense, it's a prequel. Uh, and the, all of these novels, the Leatherstocking Tales, explore the life of a frontier hero, Nathaniel Bumpo, as he interacts with civilization, interacts with the wilderness, and follows the expanding American frontier. In my first two parts of my review of the De- first three parts of my review of the Deerslayer, actually three parts, uh, I covered the deep. Moral differences between some of our major heroes? This is a novel of contrasts. Our hero Deerslayer and his companion, Hurry Harry, meet the Hutter family on Glimmerglass in upstate New York, but are under threat by Mingos, or Huron. Mingos is the pejorative term. After Thomas Hutter, a pirate, a rumored pirate, and Hurry Harry are captured, the Deerslayer returns back to find Hutter's children and protect them. He meets his companion Chingachgook, who is here trying to rescue his betrothed from the same Huron who captured Hutter and Hurry Harry. Seeking a way to ransom them, ransom these men, they search the belongings of Thomas Hutter, especially a chest filled with possible pirate treasure. Eventually, they find what they need and they ransom the men with four chest pieces and prepare to rescue Hist. But war is declared between the Hurons and. The Whites, thanks in part to a mistake made by Hurry Harry, shooting at the Hurons. They go on this daring effort to rescue Hist. They do rescue Hist, but in the process, Deerslayer is captured by the Huron. Hetty arrives to try to ransom him, but this fails because the Huron now realize that with Deerslayer captured, they should be able to uh, kill or capture the other men and seize the whole castle and all its belongings. Deerslayer comes to realize that he will be tortured shortly, and while Hetty escapes and, and gets back to the castle, an Indian woman is shot in the darkness, and that's where Chapter 18 left off, and so we're going to be picking up with Chapter 19, looking at about 100 pages of this novel, which will take us through Chapter 24. So in Chapter 19, we learn a lot about Hutter's view of the situation when he's confronted by what happened to Deer Slater. Actually, these events in Chapter 19 are happening at the same time as Chapter 18. In Chapter 18, Hetty and Judith are, are kind of escaping the Huron camp and talking about different issues in the situation. And At the same time, Hutter and Shinkachgook and, and Hurry Harry are talking about the situation. And when confronted with what happened to Deer Slater, that he got captured, they don't mind too much. At least, Hutter doesn't mind too much. Nor... This is this is Cooper actually. Um, nor do we seem to much to regret the did he seem much to regret the captivity of Deerslayer. For while he knew how material his aid might be in defence, the difference in their views of the morality of the woods has left them not have not left much sympathy between them. He would have rejoiced to know the position of the camp before it had been alarmed by the escape of Hist. But it would have been too hazardous now to venture to land. And he reluctantly relinquished for the night the ruthless designs that cupidity and revenge had excited him to entertain. In this mood, Hutter took a seat at the head of the scow when he was quickly joined by hurry, leaving the serpent and hist in quiet possession of the other extremity of the vessel. You actually have the end of this literally racial segregation. So not just contrast to morality, but, but racial segregation with the whites on one end of the boat and the Indians on the other end of the boat. Harry confirms what we already know about him, and that is he believes that the only way to act in this world is to be as brutal as one can and and to live. And that living requires this brutality. You can't approach the world with the morality of someone like Deerslayer. That's not going to get you too far. So this chapter opens with Chingachgook, Hist, and the men on the Ark. And this is the same time Judith and Hetty were discussing Deerslayer's fate. And they witnessed the shooting of the Indian woman. So we witness these events directly in this chapter. And we see it's Hurry Harry, actually, who shoots and accidentally kills this woman. Hist, when she sees this and hears this, is incredibly angry at Hurry Harry for his recklessness and his... Re- of his wanton abandon about the lives of, of these Indians she says what do you shoot what Huron Gale? do that you kill him what do you think Manitou say what do you think Manitou feel what Iroquois do no get honor no get camp no get prisoner no get battle no get scalp no get nothing at all blood comes after blood how you feel your wife killed who pity you when tear come for your mother or sister you big as great pine Huron on little slender birch why do you fall on her and crush her? You think Huron forget it? No, red skin, never forget. Never forget friend and never forget enemy. Red man manitou in that. Why you so wicked, great paleface? So she's lecturing him for his treatment of, of this Indian woman. She's violently angry at him. The killing of the. That's actually one of the high points of his character in the novel. Uh, the killing of, of the woman was an accident, but it was hardly something he feels guilty over. At this point, the two halves of the party are essentially broken, and they stop helping each other directly, except when they need to. It's basically a broken confederation at this point. They arrive back at the castle, and Chingachgook sees and deduces that it's been taken by the Huron while they were out. The whites, though, don't believe that the castle could be taken or has been taken, but Chingachgook does see evidence of their presence. I think he actually sees like a moccasin. That's actually a couple times in this novel Where like a shoe's been left behind I I don't know why they lose their shoes so easily But um, He sees this as evidence of their presence Hurry Harry insists that Not only does he know best That all white men are more accurate In their senses than Indians Which is kind of a a funny bit of hubris here Because it does lead to A pretty horrible situation for them But he says No, no, you Indians you, You can't really know You don't have good senses I know So trust me so basically they ignore all of Chingachgook's warnings and approach the castle anyways, you know, not thinking anyone's there. And when they get in, lo and behold, they are ambushed by the Hurons. The Hurons are not trying to kill them. Uh, and we see here, this is an extension of what we know from previous chapters, is that with Deerslayer captured, the Hurons are very confident that they can do what they want now to the castle and to the men there. They're not trying to kill him because, and Rivenoak is there personally to see that they are taken alive, and that's it's a point that's dwelled on by by Cooper that Rivenoak does not want them hurt. So it ends up being this very brutal hand to hand combat, and that actually gives Hurry Harry a bit of an advantage because he's such a a big man and so strong that he's able actually to fight them off for a while. So that's that's chapter nineteen. Chapter 20. So what ensures after the white men enter the castle is this brutal feats of strength based on the physical ability of the two sides. Killing is obviously not the goal for the Huron. Killing is not the goal for them. So they want submission and they want to capture these men. That's the main objective. And the white men in that situation do okay, But eventually they're overpowered by by the attacking Indians. They can't really hold their own at the end. It's fairly well described here, and just how tight tight knit it is in this in this cabin, and you know the the strength of the two sides. It's, it's rather it's a rather long description, but anyways, Hurry is eventually captured and tied up, um, but he's not tied up very well because he gets away in a little bit. But he is sort of contained. Meanwhile, and we don't really know what happens to Hutter at this point. He's, it's all off screen. Now, meanwhile, Chingachgook and Hist are on the Ark trying to figure out what they can do and what can be done. They have some interest in helping the reckless white men, but they also need to protect the white women who are arriving on the canoe. So they're kind of stuck between. So as the same time that Judith and Hetty are coming on their canoe, that's when they, the white men went off to the castle. So they have to decide, do we help the white men? In the castle or do we help the women? And they basically choose to help the women. But they're on an ark and they really can't control it very well. So it sort of drifts closer to the castle. Hurry manages to escape and he gets on board. On board the ark. But during this, this leaves the white women open to attack by the Mingo. So we see the kind of the personal preservation goal of Hurry Harry threatens the life of these white women. Who he... You know He wants to marry one of them, so it's it shows him as, as not a very honorable, and he's kind of self-centered character, which we already sort of know about him, but this just reinforces this aspect of his character. This leaves the white women open to attack by the Mingos, who see them as easier targets. So it's a bit of cutting of their losses. They wanted to take the white men, but they're going to take the white women if they can. Their goal is, to, I think, securing all the whites in this attack, but it's mere luck that allows the women to escape. I think one of the paddles of the Huron attackers breaks and it allows the women to get away. So, basically, with them on the ark and, and secured, they can't capture them anymore. So, they go to the castle to find their father. Hetty explores first and reports back. She, she's not very smart, but she reports back that her father is sleeping. And she suggests he's drunk, which is really odd because we know they were just in a fight. So it's not likely that he had time to get drunk and fall asleep. But that's how she sees it and she reports it. It's all very strange considering the circumstances. So Judith comes up and investigates the situation and she finds, she she sees much more clearly that her father's been stabbed and scalped. Scalped while still alive. Yeah. So this was a real thing. You would sometimes wound and injure someone and then scalp them while they were still alive. And there are people who survived being scalped. I guess, you know, it must have been a really painful um, circumstance. I guess the way they scalped is they cut kind of around your head, around your hairline with a knife, and then just kind of yanked on your hair. I don't know if you kept shorter hair, where you're less likely to be scalped, or, or how they did it, but... Um, it was kind of a big yanking they did. So uh, that that's sort of what happened to to Hutter. Now, usually you'd be killed afterwards or you would just die of your injuries at this point. But he, and this was sort of what happens to Hutter, but Hutter's still alive at this point. And so it's a very painful death that Hutter faces and, and he'd be punished for his, his crimes and his cruelty and his bad frontier ethos. At least Cooper's doing that, punishing him for that. So into chapter 21, uh, Cooper opens this chapter with this question of retribution and justice, and he comes down on the side of justice as the reason for, for Hutter's situation. Quote, There are moments of vivid consciousness when the stern justice of God stands forth in color so prominent as to defy any attempt to veil them from the sight, however unpleasant they may appear, or however anxious we may be to avoid recognizing it. Such was now the fact with Judith and Hetty who both perceived the degree of a retributive providence in the manner of their father's suffering as a punishment for his own recent attempts on the Iroquois. This was seen and felt by Judith with the keenness of perception and sensibility that were suited to her character, while the impression made on the simpler mind of her sister was perhaps less lively, though it might well have proved more lasting. So as in chapter seven, we have a dying man asking for water. Uh, In that chapter... It was the this Huron that Deerslayer shot, and he's begging for water. Here, Hutter is asking for water, so we're you know it's clear that he's going to die. It's it's a parallel scene, but he's begging for water. He knows he's going to die, so Hutter admits to the young women that he's not their true father, and we're treated to a rather long death scene in which Hetty tries to comfort her father by reading him the Bible. He confesses his past and invites them to open the chest and explore all of its contents, which will reveal the truth of their past and their upbringing and their parentage. As Hutter dies, Hurry is shaken by how close he himself got to death that day. Judith is ready to judge both of the white men for their behavior over the past few days, making clear that they're only getting what they wish to do to others. And that's what she says to him straight up. After Hutter's death, he is buried nearby. There's a bit of a controversy over where he should be buried. Judith wants to separate their mother and Thomas Hutter from each other, claiming that they weren't' is not our true father. but Ju, uh, but Hetty thinks they should be married together because they were companions in life and they were married. So there's a bit of a disagreement about that. Anyways, anyway, immediately after the funeral, which takes most of this chapter, hurry, Gives a brief eulogy and asks Judith for her hand in marriage. Judith rejects it very quickly. She simply is, at this point in the story, not, has, doesn't have any interest in marrying Hurry Harry. Hurry Harry is put off by this, but does tell the women that because of this, he's going to depart. Now, there's a suggestion of a little bit of threat here because they are under this danger of the Huron. And without Hurry Harry there, they'll only have Chingachgook to protect them. So he's a bit of a threat, but it does seem he cares enough that he says he's going to depart and he's going to come back with help. He's going to go to the garrison and bring help, and hopefully that will rescue them. And this can be the the way out of this this situation they're in. Judith does try to tell Harry Harry at the end that they're friends and that he's hopeful that that he will come back with, with help. So there's kind of no hard feelings. Okay, chapter 22. At this point in the novel we're really ready for our plot lines to be resol- resolved. Hutter's is dead. He's, he's revealed not to be the parents of these girls. These young women. Deer Slayer's captured, so that has to be resolved. Hurry, and we, we sort of already know the means by which the novel is going to be resolved. Just because Hurry Harry says he's going to go to the garrison and get help. So there's actually not that much more to resolve in the novel. Um, but Hutter's Background is mostly answered. The parentage of Judith and Hetty is still a question. Um, now, Hist and Chingachgook are together, so that's resolved. They're going to get married, and Hurry's future is a little bit less determined. We really don't know what's going to happen to him. But really, it's the fate of Deerslayer that's the main plot point yet to be resolved. Now, Judith and Hetty go out on the canoe to have a private conversation. Hetty confesses that she's fallen in love with Hurry. And Judith confesses that she's falling in love with Deerslayer. Judith tries to explain to Hedy that they cannot live out here in the frontier. That it's it's a bit delusional to think that they can survive and take their like the family estate and live out here without their father or without the protection of men. Basically, their future is civilization, is essentially what Judith tells Hetty. Hedy is not comfortable with this, and, and she's is a bit too dim to fully see the reality of her situation but essentially the point being made here is that their future must be with with civilization quote we must live in future as becomes respectable young women and cannot remain here to be the talk and jest of all the rude and foul tongued trappers and hunters that may come upon the lake let hurry he go by himself and then i'll find the means to see deerslayer when the future will soon be settled Come, girl, the sun is set and the ark is drifting away from us. Let us paddle up to the scow and continue with our friends. So there's, there's a bit of a, a sexual tension here in that they can't be good women if they stay on the frontier, right? They'll, they'll end up with soldiers and trappers, people passing through. And there's a suggestion that they, they may end up being almost prostitutes if they decide to stay out here on the frontier and not marry properly. Anyways, at this time Deerslayer arrives. He explains he he hasn't re, he's not rescued he hasn't escaped but he's on furlough from his captivity. In fact, he's on a mission to issue terms to the women and the others, and he's fully expected to be honorable and return to his captivity. Notice they didn't trust Hurry Harry or Thomas Hutter with this furlough, but they do respect Deerslayer and have full they expect he will come back honorably to serve out the rest of his captivity but they do want him to deliver terms. He doesn't say that yet to them. He just says he's on furlough. But this is a major point of pride for both the Hurons and for Deerslayer himself. He has only until noon of the next day to return, and at that point he'll face torture and probable death. So chapter 23. uh, The focus of this chapter is the revelation that Deerslayer did not escape and is actually delivering these terms to the party. Deerslayer knows that his life is on the line. But he still, so he doesn't. But he doesn't make any judgment. He doesn't say, "I would like you to do this." In fact, what would make it easiest for him to survive is probably full acceptance of the terms. But he actually doesn't want them to do that. He uh, wants them to live freely. But he delivers the, the the Hurons' message with very seriousness and almost a ritualized uh, setting. This is ensures that the choices that are made will be made by the others. And it's very much like the scene where they're unpacking the chest and Deerslayer says to Judith, do you want to ransom this stuff? This is your property. This is your father's property. You know, I give, I don't, I don't tell you what to do. I just give you this option now. But before this happens, Judith gives a gift to Deerslayer, the her father's rifle, which is named killdeer. And this is, of course, matches the name of our hero, Deer Slayer and Killdeer. So that's a nice parallelism. Also, that Hutter is can kill deer only with Killdeer, with a rifle. Deer Slayer is himself the deer Slayer. He doesn't need a technology to do that. He he he's a killer of deer, regardless of of the his technology he uses. His, Hutter needed a technology called deer to do it. Now they enjoy. Uh, a rather humble and somber meal together, and then Deerslayer tells of his mission. Hurry suggests, just run away. You're free now. But Deerslayer explains why he can't, that it's it's really a point of honor and a point of pride, and that he's been trusted by the Hurons, and he's going to live up to that. Now, the offer is something like this. The offer is basically that Chingachku can go return to the Delaware peacefully, but his test remain behind and, and marry one of the Hurons, I think, I assume it's Catamount, the guy we met in the earlier chapter. You can look at our previous episode where we met him. The girls can keep their own personal property, but the Thomas Hutter's property must be given to the Hurons, and the girls must live with the Hurons as Hurons. So basically live with the Mingos as Mingos. All of Hutter's property will go to the tribe. And those are the terms, and they reject those terms. This makes Deerslayer happy, because that's what he wanted, even though he knows that that's probably going to mean his death and torture. Hurry, Harry, at this point, there's not much left for him to do, so he gives his goodbyes to the party. He's not even mentioned in the terms uh, of, of negotiations, so they don't even care about him. He's sore that the rejection of the marriage offer, but he does agree to go to the local garrison to find help in order to save the women. Deerslayer, though, assumes that he will not live long enough. And we have at the end of this chapter a very emotionally touching scene where Hurry Harry sets off and Deerslayer returns to the ark or to the castle, thinking about his his last days, and that tomorrow is going to probably be his last day. Hurry Harry, Harry March escapes while Deerslayer faces the end. Do is there greed of, of in Hurry Harry in escaping? He does provide the help that will save the party and save everyone at the end he provides the it's not a deus ex machina I mean it's been established long ago that there was a garrison nearby but you know it does kind of resolve the plot lines nicely so he does have this important role yet to play but is should he go down with the ship I guess is the questions some readers may be asking and I'm not sure Cooper blames him that much Um, you know he just really has nothing no reason to stay now that he's been rejected as a meritable companion his friend died you know, it's, there's not much hope uh, in the situation. So he does what he can uh, by trying to get help. Then we come to chapter 24. When Deerslayer returns to the castle, they examine the chest in more detail, and, which was what Hutter asked his daughters to do. At the bottom of the chest, and this is what he was trying to protect for most of his life in the chest, are these letters. And these letters detail the history of Thomas Hutter and the woman who was the mother to these young women. We know that Hutter's not the father, so who is? Well, we learn from the letters that Thomas Hutter was indeed a pirate, that he was wanted for his activities, and that's why he's hiding out on the frontier. He changed his name and married this girl's mother after she was abandoned by her lover and the father of her children. So she basically was a tragic figure, abandoned and forced to marry this pirate because she had no one else. And... Her being kind of in this frontier situation, abandoned, parallels the situation that Judith and Hedy are in, who, you know, they don't have any men to marry or to take care of. And this leads to Judith's desperation to marry Deerslayer because she realizes there's really no hope for her in the frontier except being essentially a a prostitute. And that's kind of the suggestion of what uh, Judith and, and Hedy's mother was, having to marry Thomas Hutter, this man who's not, ideal by any by, um because she's has children she's in this this part of the world and the tragic realization from the letters is that their mother had a horrible life of suffering and loneliness and tragedy judith desperate to get Deerslayer back at this point comes back to the idea of ransom Deerslayer explains it will fail and, it, and it's obvious why it will fail and that's that the Indians can just take what they want. So why would they accept a ransom? He says, The Mingos will be willing to receive them things, and any more like them you may have to offer is probable enough, but whether they'll pay value for them is quite another. Ask yourself, Judith, if anyone should send you a message to say that, for such and such a price you and Hetty will have this chest in old holes, whether you think it worth your while to waste my words on the bargain. And then she says, well, we have this chest, we can give it to him. And he says, just so the Mingos calculate, they say the chest is, is therein already, or as good as therein, and they'll not thank anyone for the key. So basically, they, they say, it's, it's ours already, we're going to take it. So at this point, she comes at it more directly, and she begs Deerslayer to marry her. And it's it's a fairly long conversation, five, six pages of back and forth in which she's, she's near begging him. But she's also trying to trick him and use circumventions of language to get him to th- be convinced to marry him. Deerslayer has several arguments himself why he cannot marry. One is that there's just too much wilderness for such a beautiful and sophisticated girl as Judith. He's too much of the wilderness for a, for a civilized girl like Judith to marry. That's kind of his first argument. Another argument is that basically I'm ugly, I'm vulgar, I'm, I'm not educated and that as soon as Judith finds and catches the eye of a more handsome and sophisticated suitor, she's going to leave Deerslayer for someone better. So that's his kind of second argument. He has stories of Judith's previous flirtation with the men of the local garrison as a basis for his evidence that Judith does sort of have a wandering, wandering eyes. Now, it's important to point out that Jude, that Deerslayer nearly accepts Judith at this point. Judith is very convincing and Deerslayer has to rely on absolute principles to evade this relatively practical arrangement which seems to make a lot of sense. But with the door of a relationship between Judith and Deerslayer closed, the only thing really left to resolve in this whole novel is the fate of Deerslayer as he goes back to face her on torture and execution. But that resolution is going to have to be discussed in the next episode sorry about that a, a car scooter went by so yeah so we'll we'll resolve that final plot line in the final episode on the deerslayer but any conclusions we can draw here well i guess in a way that's not that much that happens in this section uh hutter dies the parentage of of the young women is revealed and deerslayer comes back with these terms but they're rejected and then Hurry, Harry leaves. It departs the story. So that that's kind of all that happens in these six chapters. Again, we find Cooper to be a very meticulous writer who spends a lot of time on setting and character and dialogue. And sometimes it's excessive. I think it's one reason maybe people sometimes don't like Cooper. Um, but we have some interesting themes here uh, that we can add to our list of themes for this novel. One is certainly duty and honor. Deerslayer and Judith debate this. Judith being more practical. Hurry Harry and Shingachgook and, and Hist, especially Hist and Hurry, have a conversation about duty and honor and honor and warfare. And again, it comes down to this, what's the practical necessity for survival and what's the right thing to do? Um, and Cooper seems to come down on the side of, of doing the right thing when possible. Parentage is a theme at this point. Um, and... And kind of how the, how the situation is going to create a similar circumstance for the next generation. So the situation of Judith and Hedy find out about their parents' background, or especially their mother's background anyway. They don't learn much about her father, their real father. But she was abandoned and forced to marry Hutter. And just like Judith and Hetty are in a situation where if they don't return to civilization, if they stay in this circumstance, they're going to end up having to marry like a, a, garris, a man from the garrison or a trapper or join with the Indians or something that won't be desirable for them. So they, their honor is at stake as well and their, their future uh, is at stake. So that's why she becomes so desperate at this point to marry Deerslayer. So it's, uh, the, the, the experience of her mother leads her to act in terms of her relationship with Deerslayer. And although she fails, we see a very clear connection. It's in the same chapter, actually, where she finds out about her mother's fate, that she begs for marriage. Um, Crime is a bit of a subtext here. Of course, we learn that Thomas Hutter really was a criminal. And we have Hurry Harry's crime at the beginning of, of just randomly shooting an Indian without need. And we got names here. Names become important here. Uh, Judith at one point calls herself, or suggests that her name could be Judith Bumpo, and that's something that Deerslayer kind of mocks. Now Judith at this point has no name. Thomas Hutter's name is a fake name, first off, because after he became, he fled from being a pirate. He is he he took a new name, Thomas Hutter, and that's the name he went by. That's the name the girls go by. But the girls literally have no name at this point. Because Hutter's not their fa- quote unquote father's real name, anyways, and they don't know their father's real name. So they're nameless, and so she's trying to find a name for herself, and she supposes Judith Bumpo can be her name, and this is something Deerslayer rejects. So there's a little bit here, just in the same way clothing was a the theme in earlier parts of the novel, now names once again come back. And, you know, this is the same point that Deerslayer is getting a new name. He's coming to be known as Hawkeye. Uh, By the Huron and that's going to spread and that's going to be his name in the last of the Mohicans. Um, So that does it. I'm, I'm sure there's a few other themes we could talk about. Certainly wilderness again. Religion comes up again. Torture is talked about here. Negotiation. These are all themes we looked at in previous parts of the novel as well. So anyways, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'll be back shortly with the final part of The Deer Slayer, and we'll finish up the first novel of The Leather Stocking Tales. So thank you again for listening. It's great to have you here. If you have any comments, if you have any uh, thoughts about this novel, please leave them below. You can send me an email at 100 pagescastgmailcom at gmail.com as well. So um, I'll be back next time with the conclusion to The Deer Slayer. Let Christian men take heart today, the devil's rule is done Let no man heed the devil more, for Jesus Christ has come But hear ye all what angels sing, how Mary made for Jesus King, Jesus